2019 could be the biggest year in tech since the internet boom. Earlier this month, Barron's traveled to California to interview some of Silicon Valley's top venture capitalists. This is Kelly from Winslow Capital. Henry Allen Bogan. This is Reed Hoffman, a partner at Greylock. This is uh, Himan Tanasia from General Catalyst. This is Ali Raghani. In a rare moment, they sat down in one room to talk about the coming year. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback. This week, I'm joined by Barron's managing editor, Lauren Rublin. So Lauren, we're about to be hit with a wave of these huge IPOs. We're waiting for all of these big IPOs, potentially early next year. Is it possible next year could be even better than 2018? Yes. Really? Yes, I really think so. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like we're going to have two of the biggest IPOs we've had in quite a while in the stock market coming in 2019. Valuations are so high right now. Like, how can you miss this opportunity? Uber, Lyft, Slack, Airbnb. There's a big backlog of private equity and venture capital-backed companies right now, and they're, they're pushing to get out. Usually, when you have companies worth $72 billion, like Uber now is, they've long been public companies, and people have been investing in them. In this case, all of these so-called unicorns have never come public, and they've been built up by these venture capitalists and other private investors. So how did we get here? Well, I think it's a combination of three things. You have rapid changes in technology that are giving rise to new kinds of companies. You have a lot of talent coming into the industry in terms of company founders. And you have an immense amount of capital that has come into the private markets and the public markets and many other asset classes. But there's not necessarily the need to go public to raise funds as there might have been in the past because the money's there for the taking in the private market. And what you would hear, I think, from a lot of founders is why go through the hassle of being public and dealing with the SEC and dealing with earnings and all these things when I can kind of just be private and run my business the way I want to run it. And also be private and take big risks that are not subject to shareholder emotions and shareholder verdicts. And that leads to one of the most interesting things we talked about at the roundtable we hosted, I think, which is has growing up as a private company and allowing all these companies to grow without being public been good for tech? What's the bottom line there? Well, I think there's a bit of a debate, and we saw that around the table. I think staying private longer is good for tech. Kelly Flynn at Winslow Capital Management said that the opportunity for companies to stay private really allow them to take more freedom in their investments. Because public markets, you know, by definition, don't like volatility of earnings um, over time. And so the opportunity for companies to stay private and invest more heavily in that environment, I think by definition, probably leads to more investment and more freedom to invest. I think that's the case that Uber would cite in terms of talking about how it's become this dominant platform. On the other hand, you had Henry Ellenbogen at T. Rowe Price talking about a sort of lack of discipline that can rise in private companies that just continue to get hands and money without having to give anything back in the form of disclosures or oversight to public shareholders. I think the jury is still out whether or not this is going to prove to be good for companies. And probably Uber is the best example of this. I think we've seen both sides of this with Uber, right? They've created this incredible product. I can get a car in a moment's notice. It's incredibly efficient. It, it works like something you know you almost could have never imagined. And yet on the other side, Uber can't sometimes seem to get out of its own way in terms of the controversies they've had around so many issues. 
The other thing Henry said, and let's remember this, is that the shareholders of public companies and private companies are often the same people. So their endowments and sovereign wealth funds and limited partners and so forth. So there is a form of oversight in the private markets coming from venture capitalists and other partners, other investors. But the problem with Uber in some ways is that the problems got so large that they became public and they became a showcase for bad behavior. Without actually being public. Without actually being public. Right. I think that's a really good point that there is an overlap of investors in the public world and private world. There's one class of investor that really, though, has been left out, which is the retail investor, right? That troubles me. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I would say they haven't been able to invest as a venture capitalist has invested, and they might not get as much upside as the VCs got. Then again, look at Amazon. People invested in that when it was private, and it's been a phenomenal company for public shareholders. The same with Netflix and many other companies. But one way that the retail investor is benefiting is through the technology these companies are developing and the way they're changing our lives and our culture. So when you talk about benefiting, there's direct financial benefits as an investor, and then there's the knock-on benefits of being alive today and being able to take advantage of this technology. You have always been far more optimistic than me, Lauren. It would appear that's the case today. In addition to talking about how these guys are making money, we did spend a lot of time at this roundtable talking about the technologies, which at the end of the day is really what should keep everyone excited in Silicon Valley. One of the comments from Himantane around farming struck me as particularly interesting. This is the last manufacturing process that's susceptible to weather. Why do we even do it outside? Why can't we just create indoor farms and essentially, uh, to Reed's point, use data and machine learning, optimize, here's the kind of light we should be feeding these plants, and this is the exact sort of frequency of how we water them and how much water is needed and what nutrients are needed to get the best production possible. If you've ever eaten lettuce made by Bowery, which is an indoor grower, you'd understand why this is a great idea. No pesticides, fresh food. The company recently raised more money in the venture capital markets. What were some of the other technologies that got mentioned at our roundtable? Certainly, there's disruption in financial services. The banking industry is going to look very different in the future. There's disruption coming in insurance, in trucking, in healthcare, which is an industry very ripe for disruption, from genomics to payment plans. It's fascinating that so many of the ones we're talking about now seems to be the less obvious ones that aren't quite the sexy industries that we think about as ripe for disruption, but yet they think it's coming. This is going to change every aspect of our lives. It's just a question of scrolling through industries and getting there. One of the things discussed at the roundtable is that approximately 30% of the S&P 500 is imperiled by coming disruption. There are a lot of risks facing a lot of traditional industries that haven't yet been manifested. The same thing with autonomous vehicles. A number of people told us as we went up and down the valley, throw away your car keys, you won't need them in 10 years. It's a little hard to imagine given the choking traffic down there. I was going to ask, do you really believe that? I believed it when I heard it and I became skeptical like you, Alex, the minute I went outside. That's the amazing thing about Silicon Valley, I would say. You go out there, and it's a little bit of a bubble, 
but it's also very persuasive. And it's topics like farming that make you realize it really takes a unique group of people to say, hey, this could be different. It's a land of visionaries in many ways, and visionaries with access to technology and a great understanding of technology. But you don't have to be an electrical engineering major at Stanford to understand that when these technologies are applied to the real world that we live in, our world is going to look very different, maybe not in 10 years, but in 20 or 30. And it is important to note that while we talk a lot about Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, Slack, and a few other so-called unicorns, there are about 200 of these $1 billion plus private companies still out there. I think it'll be interesting to see how many of them actually succeed, have their big moment with an IPO. A lot of them will be next year. And that is going to set the tone for how many of these unicorns actually become public. There's also some concern, Alex, on Wall Street and elsewhere that we could be facing a recession in 2020. And you might look at 2019 as the last opening of the window for some of these big companies to come public. So if some of the ones that reportedly have filed papers already do well when they hit the market, it could open the gates for a torrent of companies to come public. But behind them are hundreds, if not thousands, of smaller companies that will be percolating in the background and might be bought by public companies, might wait for the next cycle. It all comes down to one thing, which is the availability of money. If the money is still flowing, you're still going to see a lot of these nascent tech ideas percolate and turn into businesses and find backers. And if for some reason the money dries up, we're going to have trouble publicly and privately. So I take it you don't think it's a coincidence that we're suddenly hearing about all these companies beginning to file their paperwork for an IPO all at the same time? I think that's correct. I think that there is some concern that the bull market in stocks, which is now going into its 10th year, is going to roll over at some point. This fall has given us a bit of a foretaste of what a bear market could feel like, and it's not an encouraging experience for a young company that wants to sell its shares for the first time. Lauren, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Alex. It's been a pleasure. You can read more from our Silicon Valley Roundtable in the current issue of Barron's, and as always, on Barron's.com. I'm Alex Yule. The show is produced by Meta Lutzhoff. The Readback will return next Wednesday.